has ever met or been with John in any capacity? Pastor John Huddle. Raise your hand really big. For all the, all the rest of y'all, you are in for an amazing treat. There are three Ps that describe John Huddle. There's probably more if I thought about it. More. Number one is passion. If you agree, say amen. You know John. He's got passion for what he's about. Number two, he is hooked into a purpose that is bigger than himself. Most importantly, though, he's hooked into a person whose name is Jesus. The only way his passion is sustainable, and the only way he doesn't quit in his purpose is because he's hooked up to a person who's got fire in his eyes and in his heart for the nations and for the least of these. And it is an honor. We are going to be rocked this morning by the ministry and the challenge that Pastor Johnny Huddle will bring. So can you give a big holler for Pastor John Huddle with World Vision? If you've ever said yes to running with Team World Vision, 6K, half marathon, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. I don't care if it was stinking a decade ago. I want you up. Get up. Woo! So stay standing for me just for a minute. Just for a minute. I know we stood during a long time during worship, but that was awesome. Amen? Amen? So this is worship as well. I mean, when you say yes to running with Team World Vision, um, we, uh, I mean, running, I already lost like half of you. Just come back to me. Come back to me. All right, what you're doing is you're saying yes to presenting your body as a living sacrifice in a very literal way, which, by the way, most of all those scriptures are speaking very literally, you know. Um, and, and these folks have done that, and we're going to talk about that today. And I want to talk about kind of a theology of yes, of what was happening in your hearts when you originally said yes. If the, I, don't, I don't have a title for the message today. It's just kind of like saying yes is the title or saying yes to Jesus. That's never been used as a title before, right? Um, but if there was a title, it would be a theology of yes. Why do we say yes? Go ahead and sit down. This is my family. Aren't they beautiful? beautiful. We have to say that because my wife gives me grief because she says, Johnny, you never show beautiful pictures of me when you go and preach anywhere. And I'm actually going gonna, gonna to show some ugly man of pictures later. I think they're beautiful. But, um, but this is my, my, my family. That's our oldest. To my left, uh, Carlton. Um, he's holding Lucy, um, our youngest. Uh, she just turned four on the 4th of July. And that is the blonde tornado, Sydney, right there in the middle. Um, she, uh, she's a basketball player and loves Jesus with all her heart and loves Team World Vision so much. And that is the greatest Lego builder in the whole world, Elijah Michael. And that picture was a miracle to achieve. Yes. It took like 300 shots to get that one picture. I'm not kidding. Okay, I'm not in metaphor right now. At that park, there was tears. At that park, there were fists flying. Not parents, okay? We're close. But no, I'm joking. Um, there was biting at that park. All right, just to get that one shot took 300 shots. And that is exactly how most of you are. The, the, the image that you want to put out to the people around you is an image that whether you want to admit it or not, you work really hard on. Even spiritually, you work hard on it. You want people to see a certain side of you. You want people to see a certain spiritual. And in a sense, that's not wrong. I'm not like getting at you right now or coming after you right now. I'm going to come after you later. I'm not coming after you yet. The truth, though, is that the family is not seen in this picture. 
the family was probably seen in the other 299. And you know that friend that we have who's brave, and they finally are just like, forget it. We're sending out the crazy picture for our Christmas card. Have you ever seen, you ever gotten that friend where there's like kids pulling down the Christmas tree or some dog is biting somebody in the leg, you know? I respect that friend <laughs> because they're telling the truth, you know what I'm saying? Well, Jesus had a moment just like this in his hometown synagogue where people got to see the real him. He put the real him out front. And it, it was a powerful moment, and we're going to go there right now. And if you're following along in Scripture, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. And forgive me, my glasses may come on and off at any time. I'm kind of figuring out that I need to go to an eye doctor. So, um, so just bear with me here. <clears throat> but in Luke 4, and that is verse 14, I believe, it says that, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Okay, glorified by all means he was being like, he was blowing everybody's mind. And they were saying, whenever you hear that word glory, <clears throat> from Johnny's perspective, some of you know my take on this, it's God's full potential on earth as it is in heaven. So it's not some mystical ideal that we're chasing. It is this question, what would it look like if God showed up in his full potential right now in this moment, in this city, in this neighborhood, so exciting to hear that this, this, this speaker is coming, bro, from Santa Maria. That is incredible. What would it look like if God's glory showed up? Well, they were seeing it, and they were proclaiming Jesus as bringing that glory. But you got to imagine like a whirlpool, all right, <clears throat> like in the ocean, right, except in the middle you don't die. It's a different kind of whirlpool. It's a whirlpool where in the middle he ends up in his hometown. That's kind of what he's doing. He's on this teaching circuit where he's rocking all of these uh, synagogues, but he's about to come to his hometown synagogue. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And, I mean, Luke's very clear. He had been brought up here. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read, which means he was in the position to teach. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll. It's like a movie, man. He, he's, <clears throat> he's in the place of attention. He unrolls a scroll. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> now... Uh, in our in our like team revision culture, we call these guys the PCBO. Say it with me: the PCBO. Do it again: the PCBO. PCBO. Easy to remember, right? The poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. Almost all of whom are not even allowed in that synagogue to sit near Jesus where he's preaching. Not at that time, guys. He is standing in his hometown synagogue, and they've been hearing, "Oh man, our, our hometown boy coming back." You know, he's been rocking. He's been Man, we're proud of this guy. We, we want to see what's going on. He's in his hometown synagogue, and he's proclaiming to them, hey, guys, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the poor, broken, blind, oppressed, the outcast, the entire focus of my life. I'm going after them. And they're all sitting there, okay, okay, he's about to say something to us. He's about to say something to us. He, he, you know, he wants to do something with us, and he never does. This is what happens. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And you can see that word fixed is a tenazontis. Uh, it means intense focused emotion. It's like 
they, they are awakened emotionally, all right? They did not like what he said. It could have been for a number of reasons. That passage is a year of Jubilee passage. If you're familiar with the year of Jubilee, just raise your hand. Imagine if next year, if you're not familiar with it, imagine if next year, Citibank, Capital One, and everybody said, hey, guys, no worries, your debts are paid. We're just going to cancel all your accounts. Right? Well, that was what happened in the year of Jubilee. And what would happen? People would lose their jobs. Economy would suffer. What stinks is we built an economy designed around the hope that people go into debt. That keeps people employed. That keeps people's jobs in order. It's not a cynical view, guys. It is the view, and we got to deal with that. We got to deal with that. That is the, that we, as David says in Psalm 37, we need to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. This is the land that we dwell in. And we got to cultivate faithfulness in that land. But they could have been hearing the year of Jubilee talk from Jesus right there. What if, he, what if they thought, this, this kid, this kid is coming in here. And he's telling us that we're going to have to forgive all these poor, broken people their debts that they owe to us. I make my money off these people. Something was not right. And read on. He began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Just to be clear, I know exactly what I'm saying, and I'm going to fulfill this scripture. Jesus is the only person that could ever say that. He's the only person that could ever uh, quote a prophecy like this and say, I'm the messenger, and I'm the one who's going to embody the fulfillment of the prophecy as well. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your, healing, in your hearing, and here's the reaction. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? <clears throat> There's this moment when like, and this is what happens when someone invites you to do something awesome. Okay. Hey, guys, I'm going to make these folks, the PCBO, my focus. And basically, I'm saying it in your midst. Who's with me? It's going to be fulfilled right now. Who's with me? And there's this moment when they're like, all right, actually, all these scriptures come up. The Holy Spirit pushes it forward. That is kind of the heart of God. That is what we see in Isaiah. That is what we see. In, and, and, and they marvel at him. But then there's this moment when they say, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. Wait a second. He's talking about flipping our entire cultural focus. Isn't that Joseph's son? And that's when the breakdown begins. That's when he, they begin to deconstruct who he is. He has the crowd's full attention. And, uh, um, and I'm not going to read the whole passage. Uh, I, I, sh I should. But there is an explosion from Jesus when he realized what's going on in their hearts. And he basically calls them out. And he says, you know what? You're no different than anybody else that's had a prophet come in their midst. And where am I going to find the faithful? Probably from outside your number. And it invigorates them. It says that when they heard these things... All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. See, there's a proclamation of reality, a promise that's going to be fulfilled, which is an invitation to participation. Then there's a yes, yes, and a no, no on the fence from the crowd listening. And then he said, you know what? I know your hearts. A calling out and addressing of the heart directly. And then finally, boom, that attentionness, that, that focused, intense emotion is released. All right? And it's released as wrath. They rose up. Drove him out of town. Not a metaphor. I mean, they, they, this is Jesus. They drove him out of the town. We're coming. I mean, drove him out of the town. Brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. So that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Okay. Now we found some ancient 
Dead Sea Scrolls that actually describe this exact moment. And we've reenacted it in a video for you because how did Jesus evade them, right? So this is how he did it, okay? Now the magic moment's coming. Here we go. Can you just imagine if he was doing that, like just passing through their midst, right? And there's the cliff walk right there, all right? Isn't that awesome? I'm just kidding. We've not found any ancient documents just for you literalists out there. It's, I'm trying to crack a joke, and I'm not good at jokes. But I am amazed at that scene. You know, like, what was it like that he, he passed through their midst, okay? <clears throat> well, Phineas Brzee had a similar moment. And many of you know, my close friend, I got a lot of close friends here today, that this is a life quote for me from Dr. Brzee. He's a, one of the founders of the Church of the Nazarene. And this is what it says. There is something peculiar in the way that Jesus got near to men and touched them. There is something peculiar in the way that Jesus got near to men and touched them. How he laid his hands on the sick, which breaks Levitical law, right? How he took little children in his arms and blessed them. He put his fingers on the eyes of the blind. He touched the lepers. Are we not to get near to men as far as possible to get associated in their thinking and feeling and with their need? That what? That we may pour the life-giving streams of heaven into their souls. We all agree on that, right? But think about what he's saying. We need to get near people in their need. Well, you mean like metaphoric and spiritual need, right? No, that's not what Brzee is saying. Remember Brzee, Dr. Brzee, whose name is in bronze at USC, up on a wall, one of the smartest, most brilliant men you could ever hope to meet, abandoned a life in kind of what we would use, call today as basically megachurch land in his day and age, okay? He abandoned that comfortable life, and he said, I'm going to go live among the broken in the city of Los Angeles. And if you think L.A. was that different 100 years ago, you're wrong. We, we have, we have, we, we have a, a written accounts describing L.A. even with smog. It was described as a valley of haze. And even then, people traveled too far to work and too far to church. It was a weird commuter. It was impractical and designed against the family structure. And there was a 30% child mortality rate for kids that lived in L.A. from lack of access to clean water, but mainly lack of safe bathrooms. In fact, there was a census done. You can Google and find it online. In 1908, a Dr. Lee, Lee Freeman concluded that the number one cause of death for children in L.A. under the age of five was, was excrement, was lack of safe uh, bathrooms. And he said the problem that we face is activating and awakening the American people to invest in the solution for this need. And it's right there in their faces. And that's what Brzee's saying. we got to know the needs. I mean, think of all the mothers who suffered losses of children that must have been in that early church, right? We've got to know their needs. we got to press in and touch them. Why? That's the position you pour the life-giving streams of heaven into somebody's soul, right? Make sense? Yeah? Well, here's, here, here, here's the challenge. I'm going to break this down really quick. I, I don't use too many diagrams, so just humor me, all right? And there's too much text on the screen, I know. But if you can see three circles up there, say yes. yes. Okay, can you see that one is God, one is church, and what's the third one? Back in the day, in most of your seminary textbooks, if you ever went to seminary, that world circle wouldn't be at the bottom. It would be on the other side of church. So the only way the world could get to God would be through which circle? The church. Does that make sense? I think it's an inaccurate model. I think this is actually the model of today's day and age. And there are multiple overlaps in this model, and I'm going to break each one down. The first one I want to address is the God-church 
overlap. The world is not present. What happens in that overlap? Really cool things happen in that overlap. Very intimate spiritual experiences, intimate worship, right? But when the world's not present, we are not dealing with that need that Brzee's talking about, per se. We're not dealing with pushback or conflict against our faith. And what will happen is sometimes we can even begin to speak a language that the world can't understand. We begin to huddle away and hide and begin to get afraid of the world rather than allowing our children and our, and our mothers and daughters and, and, and husbands to, to live in the world. Is this ringing any bells? All right, so let's move to the next overlap. It's a dangerous overlap. Okay, there's a danger there. The God-world overlap. I believe that we are in the biggest God-world overlap in American history right now. And some of you need to accept this. The anger you're hearing about injustice, the discussions of privilege in the media, instead of warring up, and going back to your God church bubble and saying, the world's crazy. You have to recognize the fact that when people activate and they start caring about other people, the world doesn't know how to express that, guys. They don't have the Holy Spirit like you do. Stop judging them. If they get angry, if they want to stop judging them. They, instead, get in the Russian egg that's inside the Russian egg. They're talking about something that's important. People need to be loved. People need to be treated equally. we got to find a way to do it, right? In the God world overlap, you get a lot of that. But the negative in the God world overlap, I've already named it. It is anger. Anger, wrath, fury. Because there's confusion and there's not clarity as to how to move forward, right? Then you get the church world overlap. My friend Meg Vi Munoz started the ministry. She was in the sex industry. She was in that high-paid escort and worked in many clubs. God saved her out of that, but she could not leave that industry alone. So she turned right back into it. And the way she did it was she started to knock on doors of sex clubs, and she would ask managers, may I come in and give the girls free mani-pedis? All right? She would go in the back. And the manager was like, sure, free, pretty up my girls. That's awesome. She would start on one foot. By the time she would get to the other foot, She'd be preaching, speaking love, all the way up that tears would be washing down these girls' faces, all right? And she said, Johnny, you don't know how many times I'd walk out of one of these clubs, and I would find literally the church facility across the street, the people picketing the club out front. Now, you imagine that. You imagine my girls coming out that club, and the first expression they get of the church is rejection and condemnation. But she's doing what Brzee said, Right? Right? Okay, that's the God, the church world overlap. Is anybody, well, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but you know if you've been burnt in that overlap. And you know if you've got family that say that they've been burnt in that overlap, right? That's why we got to live in the middle. we got to live in the middle. The God, church, world overlap. But it's a hard place to live. It means that you keep no secrets. You are who you are when you wake up and when you go to bed at night. You're pursuing, as Brzee says, the weak and the broken. But you're doing it in the presence of the world as well. And so in that space, there's tension. In that space, there's conflict. But in that space, that's where all the miracles are going to happen. Okay? That's where all the miracles are going to happen. All right? So we're going to move on. Because this is the danger if we stay in the God church. Y'all hear about this lady in Britain two months ago? She had 27 contact lenses surgically removed from her eye. Did you hear about her? She liked the feeling of a fresh contact lens. But who doesn't? But she just would not take the old lens out. So she kept popping in lenses, popping in lenses. And that's the danger we're, we face in the church. Man, that's a great message. Pop. Wow, that's a great devotional. Pop. Wow, man, that's a great word on that podcast, pop. Oh, I love this song, pop. And we educate and educate and educate and educate and educate and educate until we're educated beyond our, our level of obedience. 
and we're not positioned anywhere to act, you know what I'm saying? To actually use what God's given us. And, and again, why? Usually because you go back to the first picture of my family. We're living in that one picture, not the 299. We don't want to look, uh, we don't want to look weak. We don't want to look messy. We don't want people to see our inside stuff, you know? And we got it. If we could just let go of all that and just at what Jesus says, do it, just do it. Man, what could we do in the world? So this is the last model, all right, last graph. This is not like an Illuminati diagram, all right? Anybody struggle with old thinking and old behavior, please raise your hand. Look at all the hands. Everybody's telling the truth. That's good. We do too. Some of our old thinking and old behavior is good. It's not that bad, right? But then when the, when the call comes, that Isaiah 30 moment when the, when the teacher makes himself real and he says, this is the way, walk in it. It's back to my idols of silver and idols of gold. I'm supposed to tell them, be gone. And in that moment, we freeze, right? And we want to learn. That's our, usually our cop out from action. Oh, no, no. First, I've got to learn more. Jesus, I don't want to walk on water yet. Just keep, you keep walking on water and preaching because, man, this is a great word right now. And I just want to listen to you in this boat and enjoy that. You know, obviously, that's not what he's going for. He wants Peter to step out that boat, man. And I know Peter sinks, but Jesus is money. He, like, tells him why he sank while he's grabbing his hand and lifting him back up, right? And Hebrews uh, 12 tells us that that's what a good father does, right? Good father rebukes and reproves his children, and we need to love that and long for that, right? Um, it's for discipline that we endure. We want to be disciplined. So action is the answer, obviously. My model is arguing that. And, um, and what, what do I mean by that? Stepping out. When, when God calls you, you just go get it. And you're learning and you're thinking and your action, your behavior will all catch up with those choices. If you don't and you rely on learning and you wait for the spiritual moment when you've learned enough and suddenly you're just different. And those addictions and those patterns and that addiction you have to comfort. And that I don't do those things. Anytime that stuff comes out your mouth, I'm sorry. You're out of the spirit when you say that. I can't is not one of the fruits of the spirit. I'm afraid is not in Galatians 5 is a fruit of the spirit. When we prayed against fear today. It was awesome praying against fear. And I, in fact, I think, and I'm not joking right now. I'm dead serious. I think the reason we're the most over-medicated culture in the history of mankind is because we live with new thinking and old behavior. People want to be transformed. They know they're not where they're supposed to be. They know there's something more. But they don't see it. And ultimately, you just can't learn it first and see it. You just got to go after it. You got to go after it. So here's an example of a need, all right? This is me about a month ago with my sponsored child, Anita, and her family. That's Dina or Mama Anita. And that's Abraham, Father Abraham. I'm not, and that's Gladys. Her, their world vision representative and I got to spend two days with the family that's their church facility all right if you can't see that picture it's a bunch of trees um, and there's dirt and then there's a couple sticks that they sit on 150 people show up there on Sundays for eight hours and they rock the house the kids stay with the moms and the dads all right but it's a trippy deal because if you know world vision you know that we don't make people join churches to get access to the good stuff that we do. We have a different approach, which I'm going to break down for you today, all right? It's a different approach. The result in Bartabo of this approach, this is Bartabo, Kenya, where there's a 50% child mortality rate for kids before the age of five. That means every child that's under five has a 50-50 shot of making it to five years old, right? It was 20% Christian when we started our work there, and it's about 92% right now, all right? It's about 92%. 
This is me with the family, all right? They welcomed me in. Father Abraham made a point of telling me if you ever, it's through a translator. He spoke a little Swahili. I speak some Swahili, but he was speaking another dialect, all right? Um, and by the way, they are one of the indigenous tribes where all the super fast Kenyans come from. So, um, which that actually bears witness to something else, a story I'm going to tell about going to the water source in just a minute. But, um, but here I am with the family, and Father Abraham told me if you ever get in trouble in your life, you can come and live with me. What he was telling me was what Brazil was saying. I will move in near your knee and pour the life-giving stream of heaven into your soul. Isn't that an incredible thing? Incredible, yeah. And so this is Anita at her water project. Now that, man, actually with the, with the glaze on that, it's perfect to bring out um, the, the color of the water. So that's where they get water every day. We walked there. I just got done running a mar- an ultra marathon three days earlier, flew up to Kenya, um, and going down, and we're walking down this hill, and I had a cameraman with me. My buddy uh, Orion was with me, awesome man of God, anointed, anointed guy. And he says to me, Johnny, they're not walking for water because they were running, guys. They were running for water. And we carried these big old jerry cans. On average, a kid walks six kilometers twice a day to get water. Um, lack of access to clean water kills more children than HIV, AIDS, and malaria combined. It's the biggest killer in the world, and we know how to fix it. It's not a mysterious disease or cancer. We know exactly how to fix it, okay? And, 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 and so I'm kind of letting, you know, letting you into my heart a little bit. I want to see the church end the clean water crisis. I want to see the people of God end it, and, and, and through that need, push in close and pour the life-giving streams of heaven into people's souls, right? But as I came down to this, the, a couple of takeaways, and I, I've got to still pray and meditate over this story because I don't think I've got my mind fully around the, just the impact of the story in my life. First off, the water itself. I would not wash my car with this water. I would not let my dog drink this water. I'm not kidding. There was dead stuff and little baby snakes swimming around in the water. She filled that jerry can and chugged it. And she drinks a jerry can the way I drink a Nalgene, which is the little, like awkward thing I do where I hold it to the side of my face. It's so that the water can hit my cheek and then just like a faucet, shoot down my throat and I never have to swallow, all right? And my wife makes fun of me every time I do it. And I could take a lot of water in. I learned that on one of Sonny Salisbury's backpack trips. Um, and uh, a true story, yeah. And, uh, um, and, and so, um, and so and that's how Anita drank. And then the second thing is the number one source for child rape in Africa is the route girls take to get water every day. And even coming out of that area, we were walking up this hill, man, and I was dying. There were two grown men standing up on the hill staring down it and i'm not trying to read anything into their hearts i'm not judging them at all but the bottom line is that she's exposed and she's 12 years old she's been doing it since she was six five to six years old is the age girls have to start doing it and it's not that parents don't love their kids or guys you can't live without water we don't even track it we're not even aware of how much we depend on water every day they don't have, and we don't say they go get water. We, 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 World Vision, our language is specifically, they go search for water. Because just because they found water in one location the other day doesn't mean they're going to find it there again. So that search can go on and on. On average, six to eight hours a day, kids are searching. So they're not in school. They're certainly not in church. And they're out there looking for something just to survive, but what they're bringing home is killing them. This is a picture of Anita. Now, when you hear her story, do you want to do something? Doesn't it make you want to do something, right? So there is that awakening. Well, I want to tell you about some folks that, that decided they were going to do something. This is a picture of half of our team 
at Los Angeles Marathon, all right? They said yes. They said, you know what? We're going to do something, and this is what they did. They committed to running the most awesome marathon in the country, the Los Angeles Marathon, all right, which I know them all, and I know New York's awesome, and Boston's obviously awesome, but dude, there's no marathon like LA, where you come out of Boston, where you come out of Dodger stinking stadium, and Randy Newman singing, we love LA, and you'd be like, I've never been from LA, but you'd be like, I love it, like when, and you're coming out, and you run through Chinatown, you run past Skid Row, you go up over the 101, there's a guy serving free chili dogs on the side of the road, true story, uh, and by the way, I'm running the actual race this year for the first time in five years. I get to run the race with the team because we have such a big team, we have to shepherd that experience. But these runners all said yes, and we, and we equip them. That's what my ministry does. So like, well, Johnny, I can't run a marathon. Well, when I said yes, I weighed 50 pounds more than I do today. I had a totally torn meniscus in one knee. I had two surgeons tell me I would never run again and never walk without pain if I didn't get surgery. I was a huge coward and did not get surgery, all right? I thought my running days were over, and my buddy Michael Chitwood said, Johnny, I, you have no excuses. And so you're talking about running a marathon. He said, our training is designed for 60-year-old fat pastors that's never run. That's a quote. That's a quote. And I had Josh Cox, who loves Jesus. If you ever watch any marathons or Olympics, he's an announcer on a lot of that stuff because he holds the 50K record. Um, uh, a time record still he holds it to this day and this guy's looking at me johnny huddle what's up johnny huddle what's up and i'm like oh man and i did i said yes provided 60 kids with clean water through my journey with team world vision um and and, and it totally changed my life all right and um here's a, another picture of a team so this is uh, hope chapel um there we go that's a church of about 100 120 folks that church at one time was a rocking church, okay? And I believe there's still a rocking church, but the pastor was struggling with that belief. He had seen a lot of people go. They'd sought out the Walmart church. They had, you know, left. And again, I'm not like judging or anything because sometimes God takes you to different areas and seasons in life. Okay, thank you, Lord. Cover my tracks. Back to the message. All right. So, so they move on. And then I come and I give a Team World Vision uh, invitation, and 32 people said yes. And they raised $32,000 for clean water. And he said to me, Johnny, the reason why it worked is because, number one, they could go to work and talk to their neighbors about giving money for clean water. And everybody wants, everybody wants to do it. It's not like I'm asking them to go talk to your neighbors about our building fund. Talk to your neighbors about funding our Sunday school. It's very difficult to talk to anybody about funding anything who's outside the church. We've got to do that within the church, right, within the body. But we've found that 80% of our donations come from non-Christians, from people outside of the church. Because they recognize, dude, this is awesome. And so they see us drawing near to lay our hands on the broken, and we can pour the life-giving streams of heaven into their souls, even when we're making the donation conversation, right? Which I know freaks some of you out, so I'll move on. To this incredible picture, that's what you look like when you finish the LA Marathon. Nobody wears it better than Bruce. And look at that picture of Chad. Is that before or after? You can't tell because he looks amazing. And it was after, it was after, and he crushed that race. At Cornerstone Church, your team from last year provided 125 children with clean water for life. And when World Vision says clean water, that means clean water access within one kilometer of the hut, plus sanitation training, which is training on everything from germs to menstruation. Like we got girls that will not go to school if they get to go to school when their time of the month comes. So what we've been doing is we've been teaching the boys 
lectures that they can give to the whole school. So the boys stand up in front of the whole school. I'm talking middle school age boys. And they say, girls, please do not stay at home when your time comes. It is an honor to have your time of the month. We have things here that will help you. You don't need to be afraid. This is what you do. We have a special latrine, and they go through the whole thing, and they tell the whole thing, and it is rocking these girls' hearts right now. It's pouring worth back into that community. But here's one runner story I've got to tell you. This is Raquel Bruce. She's a lady in my church family, 109 pounds. That's how much she lost training to walk the charity challenge. We have a walker-friendly event at LA Marathon. Now, you can't show up on race day and walk it. You will die, okay? You have to train walkers and walk runners. You still have to do your training. Our training's awesome. It, I mean, it's not a boast. It's great training. I still do it. I could be doing the advanced level training. I just, I've been doing the beginner training, and I will never stop because I've never gotten injured. It's just, it's been an incredible thing for me. Well, her husband just passed away. Now, I had full permission to tell the story before he passed away. Their marriage was in deep crisis. They, they, they had, uh, not from Raquel, but somebody else in the family, an abortion decision was on the table. They had all this craziness going on. When she said yes to Team World Vision years ago, it rocked her husband. It blew her kids away. It blew her cousins away. They were like, what is going on? Because when you say you're going to do something like this, it's not like I'm thinking differently. Action draws people together. Action inspires people. And they want to know what is going on in your heart that you would make that choice. It brought her whole family together. And Buzz, her husband, just passed away three weeks ago. I did the memorial. It was the longest memorial I've ever done. It was 10 hours, all right? 10-hour memorial, and I have not talked to her at all about any of this stuff. She grabbed me at the reception, and she says, Pastor John, she has this, she's from Trinidad. She's got this really smooth way of talking. Pastor John, I'm like, yeah, baby. She said, my training starts Saturday because this is what taught me that I have overcoming power in my life. That even in the midst, because he died of cancer, and he died too soon. Her husband died too soon. Even in, I mean, her, I'm, in a, I'm in a discipleship one-on-one -on -one time with her, her middle school son, Jeremiah. I meet with him once a week. We're going through the book of Proverbs right now. He will never see his dad again, you know, not until heaven. And I know that they, but you know how it is. It's no, you know, there's no, there's no sting for those who move into eternity. But for us, there is, especially for the young, there is still a sting. And we need the Lord to minister to us. That's why in Revelation 21, Jesus, the, the, the voice is very clearly that, behold, the, the tabernacle of God is above, above is among men and he will dwell among them God himself will be among them and he will be their God and they will be his people and he will wipe every tear away he cares about that that's not just a cool you know quote from scripture that we use in movies that is like Jesus's ultimate vision is that every tear has been wiped away including the tear of loss and death that we have lived with for so long right and this is Rich Relaford it's an amazing man he was a um, top of his class when he graduated from his, his, his university as an engineer. Um, he actually knows Santa Maria really well because he worked with GE and he used to work all the way up and down the coast. Um, he was a Division I football player. He starred in a feature film. This guy had everything the world would ever offer you. And I preached in his church a year ago in two weeks, a year ago in two weeks, and he was so wrecked by the sermon that he walked up to me. He said, dude, my kids are getting baptized today, and I was so cocky about it. It was his one picture out of 300, right? I looked awesome. I, dude, look, look at how successful I've been as a dad. He's hearing about these kids, and he realized he didn't have these kids on his radar at all. Zero, okay? One week later, I'm at a coffee bean and tea leaf with this brother, all right? And he is breaking down at this table, this grown man, yoked out, breaking down at this packed coffee bean and tea leaf. And right at the end of it, he says, Johnny, I just feel like running this marathon is not enough for me. 
I got to give everything to this. And right when he said that, my 10.02 a.m. alarm went off because at 10.02 a.m. I pray every day, Luke 10.2, beseech the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for the harvest. And it bling, bling, and I was like, I just started crying, man. And, you know, one month later, this brother comes on staff. So now he is partnering with me and is managing on the micro level all L.A. Marathon logistics this year. He's a man of God. You will be hearing from him if you join the team. And this is back to my favorite transformation story of all, my wife. And I'm running out of time here, but I'm going to give you this story. So there's my beautiful wife who had really big babies, 9 to 10 pounds. That was the average. 10 pounds, 7 ounces was the biggest one. Bifurcated her abdominals, gave her four hernias. So on the last one, Lucy, according to UCLA, our OBGYN, this had never been done in the history of UCLA Medical. Two surgeons were in the room at the same time, one to do the cesarean section, which she had to do because the child was too big, and the other one to jump right in, knit her up, fix all the hernias. It was the, so she thought her running days were over. And the doctor said, maybe not over, Amanda, but maybe not for years and years. Okay, It's going to take time for this to adjust and, and to heal. And then her sister, who's fighting morbid obesity, calls her and says, I got to run LA Marathon this year. Will you run it with me? And it broke, Amanda. And she said yes. She was nervous about it, but she said yes. That is her. Actually, if you see, can you see her iPhone? Say yes if you can see it. Yeah, you see that little notification? She just got a notification from Sheila Johnson, who is one of our heroes, 65-year-old woman of God who ran a 56-mile ultra marathon for Team World Vision. Not a professional runner. This woman's just broken for the poor. She just donated a massive donation to Amanda's page. So Amanda set a $3,000 goal, right? Well, this is a picture of her crossing the LA Marathon finish line, and she's ugly crying again because she just found out that she broke $10,000, which what that means in World Vision parlance is 200 kids get clean water for life. 50 bucks, that's what it costs. And it's not a little plunk, 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 plunk down well, cookie cutter, cookie cutter approach. These are indigenous men and women, African men and women to the community who build these well, who build these cap springs. And I'm going to tell you a story about one of them right now. And this is it. Boom. All right. So... These guys are praying, leading us in prayer. That's Shadrach, our World Vision staff. This is the chief, the village leader. He's about to lead us in a prayer. That, the kind of the guy with the tummy and the nice blue plaid shirt back there, that's the pastor. You can always spot the pastor, all right? You can always spot the pastor. This brother was pouring into me how his entire church has flipped since they got access to clean water. So we walked up this hill. It's hard to see, but we're walking up this hill to a 300-year-old spring, which has been sacred ground for all the religions in the area for ever, right? And we get up there, and what World Vision did was they dug, if you could see that wall, say yes. Can you see that? So that's one-third of that wall, and it goes six feet deeper into the ground. The villagers dredged out the ground, placed this massive cap over the spring, right, to leverage all that water. That water goes out and serves 22,000 people. But this is how they did it. This is how they did it, all right? They built a massive fence around the whole thing. If you could see the wire fence, say yes. That's made out of stinking concrete from rocks under the ground. They break the concrete up with these little hammers. They have molds. They make homemade concrete, homemade posts. And then if you can see the uh, bundled uh, stones, say yes. Can you kind of see that? That's the second fence. That prevents erosion from breaking into the valley. And the chief was telling us right there, right there in that picture, he's telling us that if a tree falls here, all 72 trees chiefs have to give a thumbs up before you're even allowed to go in there and touch that tree. And I just said to him, kind of like, disrespectfully, 
I blurted out, what are you doing letting world vision in here? And there was this moment of silence, man. And he said, Pastor, we trust world vision. We know that when you come in here, you're not going to hurt us. You're not going to take from us, that you're going to release this to us. We know that you will love on the people in our community who follow Jesus and don't follow Jesus. And that sets us up to do what God has called us to do. And he ranted and ranted and ranted and ranted and went on and on. And I've got a picture, actually, of the book they're using. That is the book that they're using. We have this book. It's a 92-page doc written by indigenous Zambian pastors called Jesus, the Source of Living Water. And as you develop the hardware of a water project, that's the water project itself, all right, you're doing the software of hearts and minds through this text. Does that make sense? I'm using an Apple metaphor here so you should get it, all right? Hardware and software perfectly united. And this was the result. This water point comes off that spring, one of seven. That serves an entire school, 700 kids. The Kambosong Water Project. Not one kid is out there walking that walk anymore. Not one child. In fact, I got a video for you. In fact, when, if you see that, it says Team World Vision with the date is June 8th. The, the paint was literally wet, literally wet when I was there. You guys funded this project. It was done in the last 10 months. 10 months. That is nothing. You guys funded this project, and here is... A message from the children. These are kids from the school. Pastor kept telling me what she was singing, even though she was singing in English. All right. He's just loving on me. So these kids gave us a presentation that was unbelievable. And I was so inspired by it that I started to chant to them a chant that a buddy of mine gave me when I was running a marathon and I was hitting the wall. It was at my darkest moment and I thought I was going to quit. He found me on the course. He was going to run with me, but he couldn't because he had had this trach, this trach reaction to food, an allergic reaction that tore a hole in his trachea. And he was in the hospital, and he, he, he couldn't run that day. So he found me while I was running up the side of the road, and he started to cheer over me. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to. Come on. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. And, and like the first three times he did it, it was really awkward, and I wanted him to shut up. And he would not. He walked with me a half mile and said, Johnny Huddle, you're going to make it. And soon the people in the, in the town that were on the road were saying, John Huddle, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. So I just started singing it to these kids. And I'm going to ask that we all stand right now. Can we stand? And as you hear, and jack that volume up, my brother, as you hear, I want you to cheer for these kids, and then when I tell you to look around, don't be lazy. You look around and look your brothers and sisters in the eye, and you're going to cheer for them too. Are you ready? Here we go. You're going to make it. 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 You're gonna 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 make it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Woo! Oh yeah. Woo! 
and grab a seat. At the end of service, I'm going to have an eight to nine minute meeting right here, right down front. And if you hear this stuff today and you're thinking, you know what, I'm kind of a yes, yes and a no, no. I want you to remember what 1 Corinthians 1 says. Paul says that Sylvanus, Timothy, and himself, they were not a yes, yes and a no, no, but that they were a complete yes. And the reason why, and, and they're saying that to Corinth, where a complete yes in coming to you. It's like us saying that to Kenya, where a complete yes in coming to you. And he's, he actually says there, all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So you might have two voices speaking to you right now. One is saying, you need to go to this meeting. You heard Johnny last year. You knew you were supposed to go. Just go to the meeting, get information. And this other voice is saying, no, you can't do it. You can't do it. I want you to remember all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Well, who's going to get me across this line? It doesn't matter how much I tell you about our finishing rate or training. Ultimately, you're going to find your yes in him. Thank you guys for today. It's an incredible opportunity for me to be here. I love you. I hope every single one of you is down here in this meeting at the end of service. Chatty Boha is running. Amen. Can we do one more rock and thank you to John? That is amazing. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. For those of you who are around Cornerstone, many of you are new, um, but um, when I ran last year, it, like it literally was the, a top five experience of my life. 25,000, tw- how many? 20,000, 25? 25,000. 25,000 people on one common starting line with one vision to finish together. It was most powerful. And my biggest regret as I, as I got there um, because I was sort of new. I've always given to World Vision I've, for years and years and years. I've, I love, I'm not boasting, but I just, I've loved the organization for years. Sponsored kids, my wife and I. But I was like, okay, running, I'll just do my thing. I won't really push it for the church because we had like 30 people come to the meeting and only a, like one or two. And I take responsibility. I take the fall for that, actually. Because when I was there, you know, getting ready and I had drank so much liquid that like you're like dying at the starting line because you're like... Forget it. We'll talk about that later in our, in our training together. But my biggest lament was that there was no one, like, there with me or that, that in my little circle. And I, I didn't push it enough. I just did this, this solo thing. And I just want to so encourage you, that's not going to be the story this year. If you agree, say amen. And the Lord just so challenged me as I was there. You know, at the starting line thinking, oh, my goodness, I want to take 30 people next year. Now, whether or not we reach 30, that's the immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Amen. We serve that God. But I'm telling you, we will train together. We will cry together. We will laugh together. We'll eat post-workout runs together. And we all said amen and amen. So please come to the meeting. I literally, um, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing opportunity. John's going to share it. But could you stand with me, um, get on your feet, and we'll, uh, we'll dismiss you. And then uh, we'll come over here to the side and, and hear more about the tangibles and, and the way we can participate. And just, just first, just ask the Lord, Lord, um, what would you have me do? Just ask the Father right now. And Lord, I just thank you that you're super, you're super clear. 
we thank you that you, you send us guys like John to, to call us out, to call us in, into that next level of yes, that next level of obedience. And I thank you that right now you are marking hearts, not just to run a race, but to, Lord, to seek to live an entirely new life together with your heart, your will, your agenda burning in our souls. God, I pray that this seed that has been cast would find soil to receive it, to cultivate it, to cherish it. And that, Lord, we would be a part of what you're doing all over the world as we participate in your kingdom. Lord, for those in this room that maybe have never drank from the well of your salvation, I pray right now that they don't have to think of a magic prayer or a magic no, just yes to Jesus, yes to the living water of Jesus. Mm. I pray, Lord, that those who are so desperate, searching and drinking from every which well, that, Lord, today they would say yes to you, to you, Jesus. Fill us with that life-giving water, we pray. And we thank you, Lord, for the season that we're in as a church. It is so exciting to be a part of what you're doing here, near, and far. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said amen, amen. and amen.